Hi, this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary, sponsored by local Rotarians, your friends dedicated to service. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world, people sharing ways to improve your life. And today we'll be talking with historian Jeff Urban about the great things you can see at the FDR Library in Hyde Park right after these important messages, so stay tuned. Not all superheroes wear capes. Most wear jeans or sweaters or suits, just like ordinary people, because that's what they are. They are the 1.2 million members of Rotary, men and women whose superpowers are the capacity to care and the desire to make the world better. So the next time you need a superhero, don't look in the sky, look in the mirror. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary, humanity in motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. Welcome back to Radio Rotary. This is Jonah Trebowas, and my co-host Sarah O'Connell is off today, but I am compensated for that loss by having one of the great, great historian and educators of the Hudson Valley with us today, Jeff Urban of the FDR Library in Hyde Park. Good morning, Jeff, and welcome to Radio Rotary. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Now, um... You know, the Hudson Valley is known as the home of FDR, and uh, you work at the Presidential Library. And is it true that that was the first of all the Presidential Libraries? That was the nation's very first Presidential Library and opened in 1941. Right, and uh, designed by FDR himself? Designed by FDR himself, sketched out on a yellow legal pad, um, just as a rough sketch. He gave it over to an architect who then uh, drew up the architectural plans. And um, from that, they built the Presidential Library. And it's caught on. Right after Franklin Roosevelt decided to do it, just about everyone now has a presidential library. Well, everybody since uh, Hoover has a, has a presidential library. F- Hoover found himself with some free time after 1933. <laughs> so uh, he went back and, uh, and built a, a presidential library. But, you know, the, the concept of the presidential library actually goes back to George Washington himself. Tell us about it. Uh, well, Washington, as everyone knows, was the nation's first president. And we just spent eight years in a war. We spent eight years of you know fortune and lives uh, lost and spent. Uh, um, or, you know, you might say invested in this new country, America. And Washington wanted to make sure that, that investment wasn't going to be squandered. So when he was the nation's first president, he said, well, how can I best, you know, ensure that the people that follow me in this office are going to do a good job? Um, of course, Washington had incredible leadership skills, having been head of the Continental Congress, Continental Army. So what he decided to do was um, he was very cognitive of two things. One was that everything he did in office was likely to set a tradition. Correct. Or a precedent. Sure. He's the first. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing was um, he wanted to make his papers available to future presidents so that um, you know they could they could look at those papers and use those papers to uh, to see how he had done the job and then um, you know use them as hints and and uh, you know ways of, of going about doing the job unfortunately when he left office he took all of his papers back to Mount Vernon and he died before he had a chance to organize them many of those papers were actually eaten by rats oh dear yeah well they were on very t- tasty parchment <laughs> paper so we can't blame the rats um, and with him died the concept of the presidential library until around about um, around about 1900 or so, the Library of Congress began to start collecting uh, bits and pieces of, of presidential papers. Well, you know, we actually, the Library of Congress may have been the first presidential library because Thomas Jefferson donated his entire vast collection to the Library of Congress, and that's how it got started. Mm-hmm. Well, that's if you take library um, by the literal term of, of a collection With of books. books. Right. right. But FDR's concept of the library was, was far broader than that. Um, his, his library includes um, books, books, 
documents um, and also um, museum objects. So he's got a, a wide variety of stuff there. Well, for people who haven't been to the library in, in recent years, I mean, it was a beautiful uh, bunch of displays, his car, uh, his various accoutrements, his glasses, his cigarette holder. I remember his law school report card, which mm-hmm. made me feel better because I actually did better in contracts law than he did. <laughs> but now you have a completely new library, a uh, completely new multimedia display. What brought that on? Why did you decide to change something that's really been successful for so many decades? Well, it was, it was time for an upgrade, um, frankly, and um, an upgrade in two ways. One, in terms of technology, uh, many of the exhibits uh, that we had there were very uh, static and very uh, staid, um, and people have changed. You know, everybody's getting their information through screens now. You know, we talk about young people as being screenagers because they, <laughs> they see everything through a screen. Um, I've never heard that. That's great. Oh, yeah. So we, so we needed to, uh, to update in that sense, but we also um, needed to update uh, the displays and things in terms of their historic um, significance and their historic value. And I think if you come to the library now, what you're going to see are a, a series of, of uh, displays that we um, are really taking on some of the hard-hitting controversies of, of the Roosevelt era, you know, the attack at Pearl Harbor, Japanese-American internment, um, you know, the Holocaust, was he too ill to run for the fourth term? These are things that we're really um, taking on uh, in what we call a, a confront the issue. So um, these are some of the more controversial issues of his of his presidency. And now folks can come right there. They can see displays about this. And um, they have intera- we have interactive displays where they can dig down into um, looking at actual uh, you know, digital copies of, of documents and things. And you know, sort of uh, get a, a better insight into some of these controversies. Now, Jeff Urban, the FDR Library, also has an online presence if you want to do uh, research at home. Tell us about that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we just uh, we have our, our website, and uh, we just added about 350,000 pages of documents onto our website, which you can now access from anywhere in the world. And we're on uh, target to add about another 800,000 in the next year or so. So what that means is you can sit anywhere, you know, anywhere, whether there's a computer and uh, get online uh, and search these um, these historic documents. And the website is? The website is www.fdrlibrary, all one word, .marist.edu. And folks, home, get a pencil and paper because Jeff Urban, a historian uh, from the FDR Library and educator, will repeat that in the second half of the show. Now, Jeff, before we take an audio tour of the new display at the FDR Library, mm-hmm. we should mention that there are a number of uh, Roosevelt-related sites uh, throughout the Hudson Valley uh, that are operated by a National Park Service. The library itself is uh, operated by the archives. Correct. Right? Correct. But uh, there is a link because it's the Urban Family Dynasty because <laughs> your brother and <laughs> sister-in-law both work uh, at as park rangers. That's correct. Yeah, where my my family was very uh, very much into public service, and so yeah. uh, you know the three of us all ended up in, in the federal service. Right, and uh, all great uh, public servants and, and great educators. Oh, thank you. And uh, part of the reason that uh, the FDR library and the FDR home is is such a great place to visit is that all of the staff there, both in the archives where you are and, and the National Park Service. Uh, where the homes are, are very enthusiastic about uh, greeting the public and educating the public. Let's talk about some of those sites, though, and we'll get back to the library in just a minute. You've okay. got Top Cottage. Tell Correct. people what that is. Top Cottage was the president's, uh, re- what he intended to be his retirement home. It was a small cottage built up the hill uh, behind Val Kill, and um, he expected to retire the presidency there, and he was going to live there. Um, but he used it during his lifetime, um, and his, you know, while he was still president, uh, to escape the mob, to get out of the uh, the big 
house where all the action was and to get up there is kind of a little uh, I don't want to say quite a clubhouse but certainly a little retreat to get away from the big it time. was probably one of the first houses that was built uh, to be uh, accessible to someone in a wheelchair. The doors are extra wide. The uh, hallways exactly are right. wide. That's exactly right. He uh, b- he designed the building himself again. He considered himself to be something of an amateur architect. And when he built that building, um, he had been, it started out, he was going to build a lean-to uh, just so he can go up there and um, and picnic and have a little bit of cover if the weather turned bad. Uh, but as he, uh, you know, dabbled and and, uh, and, and noodled there, he uh, eventually designed himself a, a um a little clubhouse, a little cottage. And um, when he gave the plans over to his architect, Henry Toombs, they were so complete that Henry Toombs said, well, you can just, you know, sign architect to the bottom of this and, <laughs> and break ground right away. And wasn't it true that President Roosevelt not only designed his library, but uh, some post offices around the Hudson Valley? He was, yeah, he was very instrumental in, um, you know, he liked that Dutch colonial architecture, which is what the, the library is built on. Mm-hmm. And so he had a hand in um, the, uh, what was then um, the, uh, FDR High School, which is now Haviland School, right. uh, and also um, very instrumental in the post office in Rhinebeck, and, right. and of course and the one beautiful. in Hyde Park. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So, besides uh, the library, which we will talk about more in just a moment, the, and the Top Cottage, there was also Valkill. What's that all about? Valkill was Eleanor Roosevelt's home, and that was a home that um, she built there. It was, a, at one point, uh, her furniture factory, and um, that was really her only, her only home, um, you know, uh, the uh, the big house Springwood was considered to be the president's home. Sarah and Roosevelt's home. That's on the home. same property as the library. At the time, yeah, at the same property of the library. And at the time, these all these buildings were on the same property. The right. Roosevelts owned all that. So that was a place where she could go, be herself, have her uh, her own taste in furniture, uh, her own taste in, in uh, you know overall decor, and entertain guests there as well. Now, uh, Jeff Urban of the FDR Library uh, in Hyde Park. Um, FDR died uh, more than 60 years ago, or just about 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Is he still relevant to people today? Do you still have people visiting, or people scratch their heads and say, well, who was he? You know, they don't know who he was. He's incredibly relevant today, um, in many ways more more so than... than um you know, in, in, in the past. Um, when I got this job as the education uh, specialist there 13 years ago, I was quite alarmed. You know, how was I going to talk to little kids about uh, the Roosevelts? I mean, in the minds of a fifth grader, King Tut and FDR occupy the same spot on the timeline. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, or, you know, in a, in a kind of a dubious way, um, the job became easier. Shortly after I was hired, there was 9-11. So suddenly there was this surprise attack on America on 9-11. Which brought back memories of Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, exactly. Uh, when the economy went south in 2008, I was the happiest guy in North America because it made talking about the Great Depression a heck of a lot easier when you're in the middle of the Great Recession. Yeah. And so many of the issues that were uh, around in the Roosevelt's time, you know, racial profiling um, with the Japanese-American internment, um, you know, we've got that going on, you know, in... Uh, you know, in the country now, um, the atomic, you know, the atomic bomb, weapons of mass destruction, the United Nations, and the list goes on and on. And we're going to find out more about this, and also take an audio tour of the library with historian and educator Jeff Urban of the FDR Library in Hyde Park in just a moment. But first, let me remind our listeners they're in tune with Radio Rotary on the air and around the world by podcast on iTunes and at RadioRotary.org. My name is Jonah Trebowas, and my co-host Sarah O'Connell is off today. My very special guest, Jeffrey Urban. 
historian and educator of the FDR Library in Hyde Park. Radio Rotary is sponsored today by JGS, your essential partner for all of your accounting and business consulting needs. Call them at 845-692-9500. And by Salisbury Bank and Trust, your local bank for all of your personal, business, and wealth management needs. Visit them at salisburybank.com. And by the local Rotary Clubs of New Paltz, Patterson, Philmont, Pleasant Valley, and Poughkeepsie, Arlington. And we'll be back with more of Radio Rotary after these important messages. Salisbury Bank and Trust offers personal and business banking, residential mortgages, commercial lending, and trust and wealth management services. With locations throughout the tri-state region, in Dutchess County, the northwest corner of Connecticut, and southern Berkshire County, Massachusetts, Salisbury Bank is your personal bank in your community. Making local decisions and delivering the highest quality of customer service. Salisbury Bank is your local bank for all of your personal business and wealth management needs. Check us out at salisburybank.com. That's salisburybank.com. Salisbury Bank and Trust, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Salisbury Bank, enriching. Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel. CPAPC is a full-service accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. JGS specializes in business succession planning, including ownership transition, management transition, as well as family and non-family transitions. The JGS staff works alongside you to solve the problems of your specific business or personal situation. JGS is conveniently located on Route 211 in Middletown, New York. To learn more, please contact JGS at 845 or visit them on the web at www.jgspc.com. Juddelson, Giordano, and Siegel, your essential partner in business. Welcome back to Radio Rotary. This is Jonah Trebowasser, and with me today is Jeffrey Urban. He is an educator and a historian with the FDR Library in Hyde Park. And, of course, that was the Andrews Sisters' Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, one of the great World War II performances. And, of course, we're talking about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our president through the Depression and World War II, our only four-term president, and the beautiful library that uh, is nestled in Hyde Park along with his home, his uh, getaway retreat, Top Cottage, and Mrs. Roosevelt's uh, little uh, furniture factory and retreat, Valkill. Jeff Urban, welcome back to the second half of Radio Rotary. Thanks. So, let's talk about the new library and new display. Uh, First of all, it is possible to buy a a joint um, uh, entrance ticket to both the library and the home, correct? That's correct, yes. Uh, When folks come to the site, they'll go to the Wallace Visitor Center. um, Name four? Name for FDR's uh, third vice president, Henry Wallace, and um, that building was built about 11 years ago to service both the the president's home and also the presidential library, because uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that the uh, presidential library is part of the National Archives and Records Administration, and the president's home is part of the National Park Service. FDR left his home to the Park Service, and he left his library to the, to the National Archives. So when folks visit there, they're actually visiting two separate federal agencies, but the Wallace 
Center joins that together so that you're able to come and uh, experience both sites in, in a seamless experience. Right, and uh, the folks at the National Archives and the uh, people, the park rangers from the National Park Service work so closely together, it's really seamless. You don't know that there's actually two separate agencies running it. That's As we cool. said in the first half, by the way, it's because it's the urban family dynasty because Jeff's uh, brother and uh, sister-in-law work for the Park Service and he's with the archives. Well, we're part of a, of a larger team that, uh, <laughs> that all move in the same direction. Yeah, and all great people, all terrific people. I've worked with them, but we won't say why just yet and how. But I've worked with them for many, many years, almost 20 years, and wow. it's great people, great people all together. So, you, you've so you're going to spend the day seeing all these great sites in Hyde Park. And by the way, if you're coming up on the Metro North, because uh, our signal carries uh, not only throughout the Hudson Valley, but around the world on podcasts. If you're coming up from New York City on Metro North or in one of the suburbs, there's the Roosevelt bus picks you up. Right. You can get right up there to the uh, Metro North stop in Poughkeepsie and pick up the bus and uh, come up and, uh, and spend the day. And uh, I'd just like to say that those of you who haven't been to the Roosevelt Library in the last 13 months have not been to the Roosevelt Presidential right. Library. It's all new and it's all, all multimedia. So let's, let's, we walk in and what do we see? Okay. The first thing you see when you walk in is this, this large portrait of FDR and it's a very informal portrait. Um, he's smiling. He's, he's, uh, he's bubbly. Um, and the art, the overarching theme of this is that FDR was the people's president. So we want to bring people in and have them feel connected to the president. It's surrounded by about 300 letters. FDR would um, sometimes get as many as 5,000 letters a day. Wow. Yeah. And just to put that in perspective, his predecessor, Mr. Hoover, would sometimes get 5,000 letters a week. Mm-hmm. So people felt very connected to to the president, and that's what we want people to feel when they get to the, to the library museum. You know, Jeff Irvin, what you say about uh, FDR being the people's president is kind of interesting because he was born into a very patrician family. He was born into wealth. Mm-hmm. He had that uh, patrician uh, way of speaking and uh, of acting. Right. And yet, the, the common people, I know my grandparents and my parents thought he was God. He mm-hmm. th- they thought he was, the, he, was the, he was the best president ever. Yeah. How did he pull that off? Well, he pulled it off by, um, by being able to empathize with, with people and their, and their conditions. Um, you know, he had um, a history in his own family, first with, of course, his cousin Teddy Roosevelt, uh, and his mother and his father, who who taught him that you know to those that much was given, much was expected, and so he took that very seriously. And um, he was very involved in in the, the, the daily lives of, of people. He wanted the country, he wanted the world to be a, a better place, and he had ideas about how he was going to do that. And uh, you know, in large measure, he carried that off. And you know, he used the power of radio in his fireside chats. Um, there was a radio. Uh, personality that many, many people may not remember. His name was Arthur Godfrey. Mm-hmm. And when uh, FDR became president, he uh, had a chat with Godfrey and he says, I'm going to start using the radio to talk to, to the American people. And Godfrey is supposed to have told him, don't talk to, with, to them. Speak with them. You're talking to one man in his slippers with his pipe in front of his radio with his kids playing checkers on the floor. Mm-hmm. Have a conversation as if you're on the front porch with your neighbor. And that's what the fireside chats were all about. And it exactly. just was amazing the, exactly. the power they had. Absolutely. That's exactly Exactly how the president envisioned it. He envisioned himself sitting in his car, talking over the fence to a Dutchess County neighbor, and uh, and those conversations really, as you as you point out, Jonah, were not conversations at the American public, but they were conversations with the American public. And one of the things that was so important about President Roosevelt that um, he wasn't in your face, but he was in your living room, and he was in many ways a part of the family. And he gave over twenty nine fireside chats over the course of the twelve years. They were generally about a half an hour in length. 
and he would have them um, usually around 10 o'clock at night on uh, on the East Coast. And that was so that the folks on the East Coast could get the kids in bed and listen undisturbed by the children. And the folks on the West Coast could get the kids supper and get them out in the yard and they could listen out there uh, you know, un- undisturbed by the children. It's a lot different from the subsequent presidents who had their uh, press conferences behind a podium. They had sort of a barrier between them and the people. And I'm not pointing at either Democrat or Republican folks. Just think about all these press conferences from the days of Eisenhower on through, mm-hmm. there's always behind a podium, always very formal, where this was literally a chat. Yeah, well, Roosevelt's press conferences were were unscripted. Um, you know, prior to that, if you wanted to ask the president a question, it was generally submitted in a, on a you know, in written, in writing, in writing, excuse me. Um, and so what he would do would be, um, he would just have people in and he would talk about what he wanted to talk about. And uh, some things were on the record, some, some things were off the record, but uh, that's what he did. Of course, that was in the bad old days when the president to invite in the gentlemen of the press and the ladies of the press went and spoke to Mrs. Roosevelt. That's right, Mrs. That Roosevelt. wouldn't be happening today. <laughs> no, no, no. But Mrs. Roosevelt took the took control of the situation and she had right. press conferences only for women. All right. So we're only in the lobby. We right. haven't gotten past the lobby. What's next right. uh, on your tour well, of the FDR library? The, uh, the exhibits are laid out in a sort of a chronological order. The first thing, of course, FDR comes to power during the Great Depression, so we learn a little bit about that. Um, then we learn about his campaign for the presidency, and just as he's elected to the presidency, we take a step back and we learn about he and Eleanor's life growing up. Um, they had very different life uh, uh, experiences. Uh, his was very uh, taken care of, very coddled, very... Um, you know, central to uh, to his mother and father, and hers was much more disjointed. Um, then we learn a little bit about his polio. One of the amazing things about the president is that everything he did, whether it was getting us through the Great Depression or through the World War, uh, he did from a wheelchair. Uh, and that's an important part of the story. But that was covered up. He never wanted anyone to know that he was... Well, uh, it uh, wasn't quite covered up. Uh, well, uh, being bad's too strong, but there was an agreement between the press and right. the president I believe you only have one or two pictures in the There's all actually four pictures. Four, four, okay. four known pictures, um, two of which were discovered in the last about seven years or so. Okay. The president um, definitely downplayed the disability. He didn't want people talking about what he couldn't do, which was walk. He wanted people talking about what he could do, which right. was lead the country. Right. And, um, you know, Time Magazine had done an article in FDR's time about the, the polio. People sent him canes uh, on his birthday. He would have, uh, they would have um, birthday balls all over the country. Where Dancing would, balls. Yep, where they right. would raise uh, money for infantile paralysis, um, you know, the March of Dimes, FDR created the March of Dimes. So it wasn't covered up. It was Which downplayed. Which is why he's on the dime today. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly so, right. all right. So um, we talk a little bit about that. Then what next happens? Then we get into um, the New Deal. Uh, and of course, there were over 44 programs of the New Deal. They were all centered around three things, relief, recovery, and reform. And the idea was to get uh, people immediate relief, get the, the recovery moving again, get them back in the factories, back on the farms, and then um, bring about some reform so that we didn't have to go through these kinds of, of issues again. And at four different places in the library, there are um, what we call Call, uh, snapshots, so you can get a sense of what was going on in the country at each of the presidential elections, 32, 36, 40, and 44. Then right in the middle, you'll find the president's study, and that's the actual office that he used while he was there. Um, the, the library was built at the end of his second term. He fully expected to retire the presidency at the end of his second term, but he was concerned about the New Deal programs being continued on, and he was also concerned about Hitler, right. and so he decided to run for a third term, so he was able to use the office the entire third term, and into the 83 days of, of the 
fourth term. And of course, you have an extensive exhibit about uh, his leadership during World War II. Absolutely. That's the next section. Yeah. You know, in one of the war memorials you'll see in, in the heart of Hyde Park, his name is there because uh, he literally worked himself to death. He was a casualty of the war. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, the library is open seven days a week. Correct. Uh, any holidays you're closed or we're closed Christmas Thanksgiving and New Year's all right and uh, invite people because we've got about just a minute invite people to come to the new facility sure. and tell them all the details absolutely well you got to come up there if you haven't been there you, you, you need to come up one of the things that we're really w- working to do now is to have our temporary exhibits and right now we have Madeline Albright's pin collection and I'll be quite honest Jonah when I first heard we were getting this I was a little bit skeptical but um, you know pins jewelry you know but uh, having seen the exhibit it is spectacular. It'll knock your socks off. So uh, come on up and take a look at that. Cliff Lobby, our special um, uh, events coordinator uh, and and public programs guy, um, has always got something planned. Uh, Lynn Bassanese, our our director, is more than happy to throw open the doors and and let folks in. You know, it's it's one of the best kept secrets in the Hudson Valley that uh, we have this presidential library right here in our own backyard. And the Wall Center is also open to uh, events outside of uh, the FDR library. I know with the Bar Association Associations had Mm -hmm. uh, uh, continuing legal education in your beautiful uh, educational facilities on occasion. Yeah, we have uh, three large rooms. Uh, They can be broken into smaller rooms, um, and uh, you can seat up to uh, 300 people very comfortably in the large room. And every once in a while, the president comes back. Uh, There's this broken-down old actor radio personality who comes back as an interpreter of FDR. Mm -hmm. And that's always an uncomfortable feeling because you usually hear him before you see him, and you think, "Uh oh, is that the boss? Um, But uh, no, it's, it's... it's a, it's a wonderful time. Well, Jeff Urban, thank you for everything you're doing to keep alive the legacy of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And thank you, my boy, for being on the radio with me. There he is again. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff, and, and regards to uh, all your, all the Urban family, all great friends of ours and neighbors in Red Hook. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. We also want to thank our sponsors, JGS, your essential partner for all of your county and business needs. Consult them at 845-692-9500. And by Salisbury Bank and Trust, your local bank for all of your personal, business, and wealth management needs. Visit them at salisburybank.com. Our thanks also to the Rotary Clubs of Red Hook, our hometown, Rhinebeck, Southern Ulster, Walker East, and Warwick Valley. For Sarah O'Connell, who will be back next week, this is Jonah Trebowasa thanking you for tuning in. Our thanks also to Jay Verzi, our great engineer, and our producer, Sue Naglieri. Be sure to tune in again next week at this very same time for another edition of Radio Rotary. And don't forget our website, radiorotary.org. Hudson Valley Rotarians invite you to support Shelterbox USA as they provide disaster relief aid for victims around the world. Shelterbox disaster response teams are on site assessing people's needs and ensuring that your invaluable support goes directly to those who need it most. For more information and to donate, go to shelterboxusa.org. That's shelterboxusa.org.